Let us pray. Oh God, show us in this season how you are coming among us. Let us be ready. Let us wait and then rejoice as you come. Amen. This morning we're not going to be hearing about the baby Jesus. You won't be hearing about the angel that appears to Mary or the shepherds who are watching their flocks by night. You won't even hear about those stargazers whom we call the wise men. No, today's about a long, long list of names that um, I was very impressed, Lisa, that you nailed all those names. Important people, they all are. And also, uh, this guy. But it's this guy, this guy, who is the gateway to everything that will lead us toward what we know is Christmas. The angel, the young Mary, the feed trough the baby sleeps in. But before we get to uh, this guy... I'd like to glance at some of the other names that Lisa had to pronounce this morning. I'm not going to say any of their names, though. We've got the emperor of the whole Roman Empire, who would be known as the Son of God. We have the prefect, the governor of the Roman province of Judea, where our story takes place. And then it's three of the political leaders who are kind of like they rule with inside that governorship. And not only the political leaders and the Roman leadership, we also had the religious leaders, the high priest. One of the high priests is, is one who had recently stepped down from being the high priest. And then the other one is his son-in-law, who he had tabbed to be the next high priest. What we have is a who's who's list of the most important people of that day. From across the Roman Empire, within the particular area that we read about today, and of course, the religious leadership. Now normally, Jewish people would be surprised that the Romans would be mentioned in the same sentence with the Jewish leadership. However, all of these men, and they're all men, are very powerful, filled with status and wealth and importance. Why does Luke put all of these names in here? Perhaps it's to give us a sense of the historical nature of this, that this event really happened. It's not some abstract something, but it happened in real time. And perhaps that's true. But I think another reason why Luke puts this is he wants us to remember and to be reminded of who are the most powerful the most important, the shakers and the movers of that day. They are the people who run the systems and the institutions of life. However, even though these men are very, very important, the word of God comes to this guy. This guy is John the Baptist. John's already been introduced earlier in Luke's Gospel. Actually, he wasn't introduced as much as his parents were. His dad was a man named Zechariah, who was a priest. 
His mother was a lady named Elizabeth. And this couple had been praying for years that they would have a son because they were getting older and they couldn't have, they didn't have children. And finally, Zechariah finds out from an angel that his wife will have a baby. And that angel says that this baby will grow up to be the person who's going to call on the people to make themselves ready for the coming of the Lord. We never read about his birth, this man, John the Baptist. We actually don't read anything else after the story of that he's going to have a baby, that he's going to be born. We don't hear anything about him until we read today. And we don't read anything about him because really he's, he's, he's a nobody. But here we are reading today, many, many years later, with all these important names on this list, and then this guy that really isn't unknown, and the word of God comes to this guy, to John the Baptist, a nobody really. And this word comes to John in the wilderness. Not in the palaces, not in the military fortresses, not even in the temple where the religious leadership held sway. Out in the wilderness. Now the image of wilderness is very well known in scripture. When, when Moses leads the people of Israel out at the Exodus story, they go out into the wilderness where they live for 40 years. Later on, when the people are in Israel... And they've turned against God and, and Babylon comes in and, and destroys Jerusalem and takes away the king and, and all the trappings of being the people of God. And the, and the Israelites are taken off into exile in Babylon and there they live in the wilderness for many more years. And then of course later on, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. The wilderness... What is the wilderness? It's a, it's a physical place in one sense. It's a place that is desolate. But it really can be any place. The wilderness is any place where there is scarcity and desolation. There's none of the safety and comforts of life. There's no one or no thing to lean on for security. Life is beyond our control. But it's in just such a place that the word of God comes to John. Maybe that's why the word of God doesn't go to these important people that Lisa read about just a little bit ago. You see, these important people, they had it made. They didn't need to hear the word of God. Because they already held all the cards that they would need to be a success in life. Their money... Their military might, the, the religious tradition, they had all of that stuff and it made them very powerful. But out in the wilderness, there's no place for power and control. Folks in the wilderness, they're not in charge anymore of what might happen to them. Really all they can do, folks in the wilderness, is hope and pray and wait that somebody might come to rescue them, to help them, to provide for them. And while I'm talking about this idea of wilderness, wilderness can be anywhere. And it doesn't just have to be some place that we might step into. 
It can be thrown upon us. The wilderness of living alone for the first time in a long time. The wilderness of dealing with anxiety and fear because the future seems so uncertain. The wilderness of losing all the securities, all the comforts, all the knowns in life. In other words, sometimes we may not have to give up what is safe and secure and comfortable. Sometimes we get thrown out into the wilderness. And it's in such a place, out in the wilderness, where the word of God comes to John. John goes on to proclaim that word in the wilderness. He says this, that he proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want to break down that phrase for a minute. A baptism, a ritual cleansing, a commitment to new life. A baptism of repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. Literally, meta, which is above or beyond. Noia, which is mind. Repentance is beyond the mind. Repentance isn't about stopping doing bad things and start doing good things. Repentance is more about taking away our sense of control of being in charge and handing it over to someone else, to something else. And John proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness, a releasing a bond, freeing. A baptism of freeing us of our sins. That word sin. We often think of this word, this word sin, as bad things that we do that makes God mad. Or makes God sad. And so we have to repent of our sin in order for God to be happy with us again. But I don't think what's important about sin isn't about God's response to it. Because I think God can handle however we act and do. I think what's important about sin is what it does to us. Sin kills us. And I don't mean kills us in the sense of when we die we go to hell. I think sin is our refusal to become the fully human person that we have been made to be. Sin is our closing down our hearts toward other people, toward God, even toward our own selves. This word sin literally means to separate. When we sin, we separate ourselves from others. Sin's kind of like all the gunk that goes into your arteries, that flow into your heart, that gunk that gets around the walls, that's the medical term, the gunk that gets around your arteries, and it builds up, it builds up, it builds up, and eventually closes, and it kills you? That's what sin is. Sin makes us apathetic toward others. Sin makes us care less. So when John comes proclaiming a word in the wilderness, a word that he proclaims in the wilderness, that he received in the wilderness, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, God calls on whoever would hear it to, to step away from the life we know, to quit the life that kills us and be open to the new, to be open to what is beyond our mind. 
outside of our own control. And after that, John goes on to quote from the, it's from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Here's the quote. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now in the way that this verse is translated in our English, the focus here is on what John is saying, that he is the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. However, if you look at it in Isaiah 40, that's where it comes from. It's translated in the same words, but there's different pronunciation, or uh, not pronunciation, but the, where the commas and all that stuff go. What is that word called? Punctuation. There we go. Thank you, Chris. It's, a, it's one of those P words. Punctuation. Different punctuation. In, 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 John, in, in the Luke text, it says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, John's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. But in Isaiah 40, it's, it's translated like this. The punctuation reads like this. The voice of one crying out, comma, in the wilderness, prepare the way. Notice how it's different there. It's not so much about John being out in the wilderness. It's, those, it's John saying to those, in the wilderness, prepare the way. Out in the wilderness, in those places that we have to give up, where all that is certain and safe and comfortable a life, we give it up or it's taken away. So we must turn to something or someone else because we're not in control. That is where we go and prepare the way for the Lord. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And make God's path straight. And then, and then we read this, these great images of, the, 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 of what the way of God will look like. It's a way that turns everything we know upside down. The, the, the valleys, they're going to be filled up. The mountains and the hills, they're going to be made low. Now this word made low that is in the text is humbled. And so perhaps there's a meaning in here. Those who are on the mountain, those who are on the hills, those on top of things are going to be humbled. Perhaps John is talking about power, that they're going to lose it. What does the way of God look like? It's where the crooked will be made straight. And that word crooked is scolius, scoliosis. We get that from the curvature of the spine. It's where the crooked will be made straight. It's where the rough are going to be made smooth. In other words, the way of God is going to be a brand new way. It's a way that God will do. And in this season of Advent... We prepare ourselves for that way. We prepare ourselves and we wait. And we look for how God might be coming. And we get a hint of how God might come and what we will celebrate pretty soon. Pretty soon we're going to celebrate how God came. Young virgin, a virgin, little girl, has a baby. The baby is put into a feed trough because there was nowhere else for the baby to be. And that's, that's God. Pretty soon that baby and the mom and the, and the dad, the earthly dad, 
is going to have to take off and flee from the powers that be, from these people that Lisa read about, because they want to kill the baby. In other words, this young couple with their baby is going to have to flee. They're going to be refugees living in a foreign place. Several years later, this baby, having grown up, is going to go around and speak about God's way and practice God's way, preparing for God's way, talking about the valleys that are going to be filled and the mountains and the hills are going to be made low, and it's going to get this baby who is now Jesus in trouble with these very same people that Lisa read about. He's going to say things like, Loving those who you're not supposed to love. Lifting up those who are supposed to stay on the bottom. Calling out those who benefited by the abuse of others that caused this corruption in the first place. So he's going to be killed in the way he practiced the way of God. The people that kill him are those people that Lisa mentioned. But the thing is, after he's dead, God's way will still be done because three days later, the stone is rolled away. That is the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, let us prepare for the way of the Lord. Amen.